Well, I would like to continue this evening to examine how Daniel and his three companions handled life as exiles in Babylon, using that as an example of how to handle college life as a Christian. Both situations were environments of unbelief, and uh, those type of environments present great challenges for people who desire to follow God. So this isn't the things here are not exclusive to uh, Babylon or the college campus. Uh, all of us find ourselves in various environments of unbelief. So don't turn this off just because you're not a college student at this time. Uh, the last time we read through chapter 1 to see examples of how these young men sought to live godly lives in an ungodly situation. We saw, first of all, that they feared God which meant they feared displeasing him more than they feared displeasing men. A Christian young person in college must determine, like these young people did, not to defile themselves in their time at college. Next we saw that Daniel and his friends though they had very firm convictions, showed respect and kindness even towards those who disagreed with them and with whom they disagreed. They lived out the reality of what the New Testament says, to speak the truth in love. That's what they were doing in that situation. Third, we saw the importance of being with believers. They prayed together, they talked together, they helped each other stand for truth. They didn't forsake the assembling of themselves together, though they were certainly in a different situation than they had had back in Jerusalem. Very few in number, and they couldn't gather the way they did. Nevertheless, they um, spent time with one another when they could. And then, fourthly, they were prudent. They thought things through before they acted, and they were careful about their conduct. Rash and rushed judgments were avoided. Fifthly, they pursued excellence. They were not lax or lazy in the situation that God placed them in demonstrating a desire to excel and to honor God in that situation, they were able to exert a godly influence in an ungodly culture. Christian students should also desire to do this. They should try hard, don't quit, do the best they can with the talents that God has given them, and God will bless this and use them. So that's a little summary of what we looked at without looking through the verses uh, a little summary of what we did uh, last time. 
So I want to go on from there and uh, look at some of the rest of the years of these men there in Babylon uh, as it's presented to us in the rest of the book of Daniel, trying to apply how Daniel and his colleagues handled life in Babylon as, as an example of how the Christian should deal with life in college. Why don't we pray here before we go into the new part. Father, we ask that you would teach and guide us here from your word and from the example of these four men. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would apply this especially to the college students and other students that are here. Just ask that it would be something that would be helpful to them and glorifying to you as they seek to follow you in a difficult situation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, I thought we could begin with the area of peer pressure. That's a big one. Uh, God has made us social beings. We like to be with people. That's the way God made us. And that's why peer pressure affects us so much. We're made for relationships. Now, some peer pressure is good if it's the right kind of pressure from the right kind of peers. And that's why we emphasized last time that we should be with believers. That's the right kind of peers. And you hopefully experience some of the right kind of pressure from being around other Christians. Uh, really, as Christians, your peer group should primarily be other believers. But we are not supposed to isolate ourselves from others on campus, and befriending the lost is not wrong. What we must be careful about is not embracing their sinful values and lifestyle, even when it seems like almost everyone else is living that way. A good example of what we're talking about here has to do with these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They certainly knew what peer pressure was all about. So let's look at their example given to us in chapter 3 of Daniel. And uh, we'll just beginning, begin reading with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was six, 60 cubits, and, the, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all rulers of the province were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, 
To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at the time, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Well, if we read on, we find out that even though everybody else bowed down, there were three people that didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know where Daniel was on this. Maybe it was somewhere else. But this was uh, quite a scene. I don't know how many thousands of people were there, but I know that there were just three people that were standing when all that music started playing. And uh, I think we have here something of what peer pressure is all about. Everyone else fell down before the image. Of course, now, there was more than peer pressure that was going on, uh, taking place here. There was a very real threat of harm if you didn't comply. But the fact that everybody was buying down made it easier to go along with something many of them knew was not right. See, it says that uh, there were peoples uh, from uh, every language, peoples of uh, the peoples, nations, and men of every language. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians have conquered other people besides the Jewish people. And there was a lot of other nationalities here. There was a lot of people that knew that this was, was wrong. Nevertheless, they all bowed down. And I think that part of the reason for that, at least it made it a lot easier for, for them all to bow down because everyone else was doing it. Um, that's what the wrong kind of peer pressure does. It makes it easier to go along with something you know is not right, rationalizing that it's not so bad since others are doing it. So how did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego deal with this? Well, it seems from the account that they had determined not to do what was wrong they determined to do what was right despite what everyone else did. They knew that uh, God's word was clear on this. You should not make for yourself any idols. They also knew that God's word said you shall not follow a multitude in doing evil. They also knew that God could deliver them out of this situation. They also knew that even if he didn't, he, they weren't going to bow down because it was the wrong thing to do. Uh, we see that later on in the account uh, when they're hauled before Nebuchadnezzar and 
verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. We know that's wrong no matter what happens to us. We know that's wrong. So that was the first thing. Another thing we see in this account that helped them resist this peer pressure was that they had chosen the right kinds of friends. They had chosen their friends wisely. These three are always mentioned together in the scriptures because I think they were always together when they could be. It was just like if you, if you saw one, you'd see the other. They were friends. They were good friends. They were close friends. The point here for the Christian college student is that you should choose your friends wisely. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they could subtly be pulled into sin if they became too close to bad companions. I like the way J.C. Ryle put it. He said, good friends are among our greatest blessings. They may keep us back from much evil, quicken us in our course, speak a word in season, draw us upward, and draw us on. But a bad friend is a positive misfortune, a weight continually dragging us down and chaining us to earth. Keep close companion with an irreligious man, and it is more than probable that you will end up like him. That is the general consequence of all such friendships. The good go down to the bad, and the bad do not come up to the good. It's much more likely that they'll pull you down than you pull them up. And Ryle is only stating what the scriptures plainly tell us. In Proverbs 13.20, for instance, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools shall suffer harm. And in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. So that's the first area then related to peer pressure. A big thing on the college campus. Something that each college student has to deal with. The next area I think we see in the life of these men is the area of integrity. Integrity. Let's read uh, Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. We're doing a lot of skipping around tonight, and you'll have to fill in the blanks by reading the whole book sometime yourself. Uh, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs, 
but they could find no grounds of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Daniel was a man of integrity. Integrity includes honesty, but it is much more than honesty. It's a steadfast adherence to doing what is right for the right reasons. It includes treating people fairly and honestly, keeping your word, paying your debts, being diligent in your duties, avoiding deception, and avoiding artificiality. In short, it is doing right and being real. And God will take care of the person that lives that way. We're told in Proverbs 2.7, He, that is God, is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now Daniel was like this, and even his enemies had to acknowledge it. In verse 5 it says, Then these men... Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. They knew there was no way they could find any area of negligence or corruption in Daniel. Uh, People notice integrity. Some will dislike it, but they'll notice it. Over and over as you read through this book, Daniel demonstrates integrity. This account that we're reading right here actually took place many years after Daniel had been brought to Babylon. He was probably 60 or maybe 70 years old by now. Yet when others looked for negligence or corruption in his life, they could find none. Now that's a tremendous testimony. This is a life of integrity, you see. How often do we hear of someone who starts out well, but the lure of power or position or prominence turns them aside? Many a promising politician has been corrupted by their desire for power. Uh, every, about every few months you hear of another example of that. Uh, Proverbs 10.9 says, He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will be found out. Principles are often compromised in order to get ahead, and promotion often produces pride. This is something to beware of as a college student. Beware of a loss of integrity. Don't allow political correctness to keep you from speaking the truth. Don't be afraid to stand up for what's right, even if you're considered foolish by those who are filled with intellectual pride. Don't compromise the basic principles of honesty, fairness, and candor. By candor, I mean plain speaking. Don't compromise those things in order to try to get ahead. Don't listen to those who would encourage you to compromise your integrity. Be who you are, a follower of Christ, whether you're in church or in the classroom. Take the position that Amy Carmichael took 
in one of her poems, she said it this way, cause us to stand to our own conscience clear, cause us to be the thing that we appear. Integrity. Which brings me then to the next point. Remember who you are and be who you are. Remember who you are and be who you are. Now, if you're a Christian in name only, what I'm about to say doesn't apply to you. Many professing Christian young people simply give up their faith in college because it was a superficial, man-centered faith to begin with. But if God has done a real work in your life, calling you from darkness to light, forgiving your sins, and making you a new creature in Christ, remember who you are and be who you are in the dorm and in the classroom and everywhere else. I think we see this reality in the life of Daniel even in how he uses his name. If you remember last time we brought out that his Hebrew name, Daniel, Daniel, means God is judge or God is my judge. The L there in Daniel is God's name. Uh, and it means God is judge or God is my judge. This name was changed by his captors to Belteshazzar, which means something like Bel, B-E-L, Bel, protect his life. This was clearly an attempt to cause him to be assimilated into the Babylonian way of life, to make him forget his God, change his character, and adopt their worldview. Though Daniel was willing to learn their language and literature, he would not adopt this name for himself. They called him Belteshazzar over and over again, but over and over again in this account, he goes by his true name. Throughout the book, he says this little phrase, I, Daniel. I think that's significant. I, Daniel. Let's just look at a few of them. Turn to chapter 8. Some of them you miss unless you read the margin. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. But now if you look uh, in the margin on that, there's a little one there for Daniel, the literal is, I, Daniel, appeared to me, I, Daniel. Uh, verse 15. It came about when I, Daniel, had seen the vision. Uh, verse 27. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted. Uh, chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of, the, of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books. Uh, 10-2. In those days, I, Daniel... Uh, Verse 7, you're getting the point, aren't you? Uh, now I, Daniel, alone, 
saw the vision. Uh, 12.5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing. He was emphasizing, this is who I am. And every time he used that name, he was proclaiming that God, the true God, was judge, his judge and the judge. That's what Daniel meant. And he emphasized his name. What's that have to do with the college life? Well, I would say, students, don't let the worldly campus squeeze you into its mold. Remember who you are and be who you are. Don't let others redefine you. Tell them your real name. I'm a Christian. We should perceive ourselves as God perceives us. That's what Daniel did. God calls him Daniel. You see that in a number of places. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem. Now this, of course, was an angel sent from God, but it's God's message. O Daniel, man of high esteem. So this is what God calls him. Um, Then he said to me, verse 12, then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. See, Daniel's his name. That's what he really is because that's the way God sees him. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. His self-perception was the right perception because it was God's perception of him. He was a Hebrew. He wasn't a Chaldean. He was a Hebrew, one of God's chosen people, called to be his witness. In a difficult situation, but nevertheless called to be his witness. Yes, he was a man like the others all around him there, the other Chaldeans and other people, but he was also a new man because of the work of God in his heart. That was who he really was, no matter what they wanted to call him. So the point is, college student, remember who you are and be who you are. And here's the amazing thing. Even those who try to rename you sometimes recognize this is who you really are. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. This is after Nebuchadnezzar had died and his son had taken over the kingdom. It seemed like Daniel kind of was, uh, you know, in a prominent position for a while, then he'd kind of drop out of sight, and then later on he'd be uh, elevated again, and then he'd kind of drop out of sight. This kept happening over and over as different rulers took place. Well, uh, 
this uh, Belshazzar was needing an interpretation of uh, a dream and this is uh, we'll just pick up reading at verse 12 that the queen came into the banquet hall and told uh, Belshazzar this there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of your father illumination insight and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him the king Nebuchadnezzar your father your father the king appointed him chief of the magicians conjurers Chaldeans and, and diviners this was because an extraordinary spirit of a spirit knowledge and insight interpretation of dreams explanation of enigmas and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation said in other words she's, she calls him Daniel let Daniel now be summoned um, and you see it again chapter 6 and verse 13 this is another ruler then they answered and spoke before the king Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you O king so they, they call him Daniel and then in verse 20 this is the king himself uh, Darius and when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said, Daniel, said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Well, the point I'm making here is, um, if we'll be who we are, and not be afraid to say who we are. Some people, anyway, will recognize who we are. And they may try to change us, but, but some people will even recognize what the reality of the situation is. So, remember who you are and be who you are. And then last thing I want to deal with tonight is just to say that one of the main ways to remember and better understand who we are in Christ is by reading God's Word. In an environment of unbelief like this Chaldean culture or the college campus, in that type of environment uh, there are what you might call conditions of low visibility. You seem to be surrounded by a fog that makes it hard to see truth clearly. But God has provided for this. He's provided for this by giving us, his people, a clear revelation of who he is and who we are and what this world is all about. And that revelation is in his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Daniel was a student of God's word. We see that in chapter two or chapter nine, verse two. 
in the first year of his reign, that is, this Darius, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he had been studying God's word that came by way of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, the interesting thing to note here is, I think, is that this was at the same time that he had been appointed by Darius as to an important position in the new government of the kingdom. That was back in verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. That happened when Darius took over. Daniel was appointed to a high position in the new government. Well, in that first year, Daniel says, at the same time, he says, I observed, as I was reading in the prophet Jeremiah, some, some information uh, about Jerusalem. So the point I'm trying to make here is that though there was much to do and much new responsibility placed upon him, in the midst of this, Daniel was reading God's word. He was meditating on it and asking God for insight into it. And yes, as a student, you have much to do and many new responsibilities, but don't neglect God's word. Habitual study of the word of God has been the instrument used by the Holy Spirit down through the ages to inform and transform God's people. Though textbooks and reports and tests will take up much of your time and energy, still the Christian will study God's word. He or she will say with the psalmist, in, uh, as he says in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed thy precepts. And again, in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? Or a young lady, anyone on the college campus? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin, that I may not sin against you. The attitude of, I think, Daniel in this account. Make a habit of reading the Bible. Don't let the laughter of other students, the mockery of your teachers, or the pressure of your schedule keep you from prayerful, reverent, regular reading of the scriptures. In college, you will certainly experience the truth of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 11.12. My son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless. Excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. College students find that out pretty quick. 
but don't let the multitude of books, I mean, you walk into the library, it's overwhelming, or even the college bookstore. Uh, so many books and so many assigned to you, but don't let the multitude of books keep you from the book, the Bible. Much of what you're required to read for your classes will soon be outdated, and all of it will someday pass away, but the word of our God stands forever. So do as Daniel did, read the scriptures. <clears throat> well, that's as far as we'll go tonight, and I think by the grace of God we'll take up this theme one more time uh, next week. Anyone have any thoughts or comments as we close here? <clears throat>